Hey, this is JT. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Niftiest Podcast. This is the extended version of the episode, which contains my full conversation with Lee Mason, a.k.a. Metageist. Since the short version of the episode has been available for some time, in case you've already listened to that, most of the new material here is in the second half of the episode, starting with the section where we talk about creating art from within the metaverse at around the 30-minute mark. One final note before we jump in, for this first episode of the show, I'm making the extended version available for free. All I ask is that if you enjoy this extended version, please give it a shout out on social media and let people know about this awesome new podcast that you've just discovered. I'd be so grateful for your support and love to connect with you. Thank you so much in advance for helping me get the word out. All right, that's all from me for now. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Niftiest Podcast. This is the show where we get inside the minds of the visionaries, creators, and architects building the world of Web3 and NFTs. I'm your host, JT, aka Niftiest. I'm an NFT collector and a creative. I host the Niftiest channel on TikTok and elsewhere. And before I introduce our amazing guest, let me just address a couple of important bits of housekeeping. A disclaimer first, the Niftiest podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and nothing in the show should be taken as investment advice. If you do choose to purchase NFTs or cryptocurrency, please do so at your own discretion after having done your own thorough research and with the knowledge that NFTs and cryptocurrencies are volatile markets that involve a high degree of risk. You should also know that as an NFT collector myself, I do own an NFT by today's guest, who I'm excited to introduce now. Please welcome Lee Mason, aka Metageist. Metageist has been a graphic and web designer and illustrator for 20 years. After discovering VR art programs, he pivoted to focus on creating art for the metaverse with metaverse native tools. Since getting into the NFT space in February of 2020, Lee has come to see himself as a world builder, storyteller, and digital sculptor. Thematically, many of Lee's works explore his fears of us disappearing into digital realities while the old world collapses around us. Lee is on all major NFT platforms as a creator, as well as a keen collector and curator of digital art. You can find Metageist on Instagram as Metageist underscore, that's M-E-T-A-G-E-I-S-T underscore, and on Twitter at Metageist VR. I highly recommend visiting his social media channels now if you're not familiar with his work already so that you can get an idea of some of the really awesome projects he's involved in and that we'll be talking about throughout the show. Lee Mason, aka Metageist, welcome to the Niftiest Podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well. We actually met last year at Dreamverse, which was concurrent with NFT NYC. We actually ran into each other a number of times and had a lot of great conversations. Yeah, we did. So as I was uh, putting together this podcast, I thought you would be an awesome first guest because I knew we would have a whole lot to talk about. And you are involved in so many really awesome projects that I'm really excited to talk about today. Very briefly, I wonder if you could just rattle off a couple of your projects that you think you're best known for. Yeah, sure. I was lucky enough to get into super rare quite early so i've got a few sort of one-on-ones on there but when it really sort of blew up was getting onto nifty gateway about a year and a half ago i really wanted to get onto nifty gateway because they had these really interesting drop mechanics one of which is the blind packs 
where you don't know which one you're going to get when you purchase a pack. Mm-hmm. And um, that became quite popular. I did two collections of Metaphyla. So they, that was quite popular. And the other, the other thing was the Cyclops Project, which was really... We'll, we'll get into that in a bit, probably. But yeah, that, that's yeah, totally. That's what I'm most excited for. Yeah, and uh, that's where I discovered you on Nifty Gateway. I think uh, that was my on-ramp uh, early last year into NFTs. I think it was for a lot of people as well. But before we just get into that, I, I have to ask you the basic question. Where does the name Metageist come from? <laughs> yeah, you do get asked that often. And it's something that surprises people. It was actually something that I came up with many, many years ago. Me and a friend that I was starting the business with uh, one night came up with Metageist by accident. Thinking about like ghost in the machine or something like that you know along those lines mm. uh, about ghosts and about simulations and then I, and then I just I shelved metagast and didn't use it for a long time like well over a decade and then about nfts and I thought metagast you know a pseudonym in the metaverse metagast is perfect I've still got the dot com there you go that's important uh, and I just uh, I just brought it back up and the, and the logo is based on night terrors that I used to have as a kid where I used to see those shadow oh, wow. people when I had like uh, sleep paralysis. And I've just taken ownership of these characters that terrified me as a kid, basically. Wow. <laughs> so that's where that came from. So you're telling me that the name came back to you like a ghost from your past. <laughs> Pretty much exactly that. I just love it. I think it's brilliant. And and my my sort of long term plan is to have the meta guys like create all sorts of architecture and spaces and characters and animals, all sorts of things in the metaverse that will outlive me. And so there'll be this geist left behind long after I'm gone. Oh heck yeah. <laughs> That's so fortuitous that you already had like the perfect name <laughs> chosen in advance. What a prophecy. So let's talk about Dreamverse. This is where you and I met last year. Just a quick summary for people who aren't familiar. Dreamverse was an event held in New York City last year that was put on by Medicovan, who was infamously the buyer of Beeple's Every Day is the First 5,000 Days, which Medicovan bought at auction for 69 million dollars. It was uh, very much a statement from him about legitimizing, uh, or the legitimacy rather, of NFT art as art. Dreamverse seemed to be an extension of that project. It was a physical gallery of not just graphic NFTs, but also AR, VR, and I I would say experiential NFTs as well. They did some really interesting things actually with with that Beeple piece that he, he had purchased. It was the first public debut of that piece. And Lee, you were asked along with I think nine other people to be a curator of that event, which is very cool. Congratulations. So I wonder if you could just tell us about your experience with Dreamverse and and your thoughts on it briefly, because I think there's probably a lot to talk about there. Yeah, sure. It was it was an honor. It was a very, very exciting time. The Dreamverse night itself represented like a the pinnacle the crescendo i suppose of months of months of work previously to that because in my infinite wisdom i thought it would be good to have a nifty gateway drop on the same day so for me it was incredible you know i met uh tubador and medicoven in crypto voxel so like i met these people at events during lockdown in the metaverse Wow, got on, with, got on with them. Tubador and I had both bought the same voxel trainers in a in an auction in crypto voxels. It was a really really exciting time. This was this was like, I was kind of like just past the really early days, but still quite early in the NFT space, and enough to sort of like be part of what felt like a very special small little you know niche of this, but with with so much optimism about the future. It was a really cool sort of time. 
Anyway, Tubador and I got on really well. He met a person, one of my first collectors. They collected uh, one of my first pieces on Super Rare, uh, a piece that I'm really proud of, um, which is like a, which is a 3D piece that you can put up in VR, and it's like a bandstand, but it plays music, and there's a whole backstory to that. So when they yeah when they reached out and asked if I would be a curator, that was very exciting to me. And and I was in the UK, and we weren't allowed to travel. The only way to get there was to spend two weeks in other countries. So I laundered myself in Barbados for a fortnight to get to New York. <laughs> <laughs> with some I friends think a lot of people did that week yeah yeah so so by the time Dreamverse happened it was it was three weeks in the traveling and stuff like that and it was it was really good they did it really well I've been to quite a lot of NFT events now and that is by far the best they did it they did make it artist first it was all about the art and I thought that that was uh, that was really cool and the, the screens were very good and screens can be off can be disappointing at these things and the collection of art was just phenomenal there was hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art from some of the very best artists in the crypto art space so yeah it was a highlight totally. of, of, of last year absolutely like a really good time yeah that was really awesome i i was really impressed with the diversity of media that they that they showcased because uh, like so much of the art that especially in the nft world we're already familiar with collecting is just two-dimensional on a screen mostly videos or gifs i would say but there were things beyond that there were ar installations there were people walking around with ipads that let you visualize things in the in the space that you were in all sorts mm -hmm. of things so that was really cool. And in your role as curator, how, how did you influence how Dreamverse came together? So we were just sort of reached out to individually by Tubador and uh, Brooke from the Metapurse team and just said, can you choose 10 artists, anybody you like? You can also obviously put your own stuff up. We were given like a lot of time and I just sort of had this great sort of opportunity to sort of pick a bunch of artists that I felt were... Some of my favorites in the space, some of the nicest people, some of the hardest working, some of the underrepresented. And, uh, you know, it was like full acceptance. It was like, whoever you want, just just give us the names. We'll do all the rest. They made it very easy. And uh, so it's nice to sort of like have play a part, like sort of 10% of the show was were artworks that I'd chosen, as well as some of my own as well. And who were some of those people that you selected? Lucas Aguirre, one of them, I think. He does uh, virtual reality artwork. Jason Duckmanton, Rosie Summers, who's a VR artist and only done a handful of things in the NFT space. Her piece was up there as well. Because I think it's a sparrow. I think she was one of them, but potentially she'd been picked by somebody else. I was curating three shows at the same time at this point. That was the big one. And then there was the Cyclops one. And then there was the one for First Dibs as well in New York. So yeah, so there, was a, there was a bunch of people, but I don't want to get the names wrong now. So Yeah, sure, sure. Well, there was an unfortunate episode that happened at Dreamverse, which I wanted uh, to hear from you. And that was that actually one of your physical artworks was stolen from Dreamverse, which I found shocking. So could yeah, you tell right. us what was that piece and what was the physical aspect of it that you had on display? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was the Basilisk. It was the auction, the one of one that was part of the Nifty Gateway drop during those two days. It was a physical 3D printed piece. I sculpted it in virtual reality. It was a, uh, a cobra, I suppose, with an augmented reality head. What that meant was that it was 3D printed and then it was literally electroplated in gold. Like it was a gold plated sculpture. And um, it was it was very hard to make. Harder than you might think. It was it was a tough call. It was a lot of back and forth and a lot of areas and things like that to get it to get to New York on time. And it got to New York like two days before the event. And I hadn't seen it because I'd only seen like a, a failed prototype. So this was a one of one, both in the metaverse and in real life. You only produced a single 
Yeah, I've, re- I've re- yeah. remade it since because, of course, well, sure. we'll get to that. But like, yeah, so, so it, what, what's funny about it and 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 weird is that it looks like something that gets stolen in like Indiana Jones. Like it looks like a, it's it like it looks like an ancient Egyptian artifact. It's like a golden cobra. It's got a magic. You point your phone at it and it comes alive and it plays music. I used a friend of mine made some art using actual water and light to make a somatic animation. Which he which he made by putting a thimble of water on a speaker and playing music, and and so it was a video loop for the face. It's hard to explain without sort of showing it, but and then it was music made by a collaborator of mine, Varian Nikki. She made the music, so it was three of us involved. I arrived at Dreamverse on the morning of the event. I wasn't allowed in before then to check the sort of presentation. I'd asked for it not to be put in a case because it was interactive, but it was also sort of just like left on the table. I, I feel like. I was naive, you know, I was naive not to say this needs to be out of reach somehow or, or I need to be with it all night or someone needs to be with it all night or whatever. Um, and of course, it, right, it, because... it turned, turned from a gallery into a club night very abruptly and suddenly yes. everything changed. And I was a few drinks in and I was mingling and chatting to people. And then before I knew it, it had gone and it was crushing. Then it was funny. And then everyone thought it was amazing. It was like, this is perfect. Like you've had a heist. Meta heist became the hashtag for a night, um, oh and, it was, and it was all exciting. And people were saying like, "We're gonna, we're gonna bid on it. We're gonna make it. You know, this is this is kind of perfect." And people were accusing me of doing it to, to, like deliberately as well. Oh, classic! Was, like, as if as if, I, as if I would do that. And then, Just to explain here, so you're saying it turned into a club night because actually the venue for Dreamverse was at Terminal Five, which is actually a large concert venue in New York City, and what was an art gallery during the afternoon actually turned into an EDM concert at night. I think Alessa was headlining. It was a great show. But also, I think by this point, like, I guess you hadn't sold this piece, but like it was about to be sold. This drop was about to launch. And so you had to deliver it. So when someone stole it, you were you didn't have this thing to deliver. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So in retrospect, it's kind of ridiculous because like that on that night, an image of the basilisk was being projected on the side of a building in Times Square. Like it was this. Oh, my God. Huge projection of this, like huge one of one NFT available at Dreamverse, you know, Meta Ghost and everything. And it had a working AR thing and everything. And it was really cool. So it was elevated on the outside. And then it was just like on a table in the corner and with not much light on it, like in, in the nightclub. And then, of course, it was Nick. Like, of course, it was stolen. But yeah, so and then the auction was the next day. So I was like, it's stolen. But actually, all of the value lies in the NFT, really. And as long as the buyer gets the NFT, then I will recreate it. And I actually recreated and made a much nicer one went to a different plater and got one that was even better than the original and we and we put weights in it basically the the one that the the buyer got in the end was was an improvement on the one that was stolen but i also as a as a sort of like like literally a middle finger to the thieves i changed the ar on the stolen one so that if they tried to use it they just got an image of me with my middle finger up instead of the artwork that was supposed to show (laughs) and i also found out I got a notification months later that the stolen one was being used on uh, New Year's Eve. Someone someone triggered the original QR oh code. Oh, my so, God. And it's still being used somewhere, but there's no um, lo- location data available because it's only one, like one use for some reason, and I can't get any more news than that. So somewhere in the black market or in a bin or somewhere in New York, there's a... There's, there's the, the original basilisk and it's uh, yeah it's wow you know someone was like throwing a new year's eve party and and showing off that, that yeah exactly piece and like oh here's a photo of it in times square on a building yeah yeah, yeah. no it's mine <laughs> and, then, and then he tries to show it and it's just like a middle figure to himself 
yeah and, and ultimately they, they don't have the nft so i mean if yeah you know, if, if, an, if the if the future goes as well as i hope it does then maybe i'll become a bigger and bigger name and the, and the stolen one will have some value but at the moment like the value lies in the in the re in the new the second one and in the nft totally yeah that's that's that really is a lost indiana jones artifact now <laughs> yeah why do you think someone saw it as like worth stealing and I, I guess to me like it's such an interesting reflection on the the difference in perceived value between nfts and physical items because here you're saying that you say as the artist that you know the real value is actually the one of one nft that it's attached to and this is like an important component but you've actually been able to switch it so that you know the it's supposed to work the way it's supposed to work and you've been able to reproduce the physical so i don't know have you thought about like why someone thought that stealing it would be beneficial to them or cool or what are your thoughts on that yeah a lot i think about it all the time like like it could just be in someone just like knocked it into their bag and left because it was funny could be i i I honestly thought that somebody on the night because everyone was so excited about this the theft i thought maybe someone's done this and then they're gonna buy it and they're just like boosting the value of this maybe it's a bit of a play like that oh my god yeah or what if it's one of my friends who did it as a joke because there was quite a few of my mates there did it as a joke and then when they saw people go this is amazing thought oh we'll just keep it hidden but then no one's ever come back um <laughs> a thought, secret benefactor yeah, yeah i just thought like <laughs> they're like they'll talk about this on podcasts forever it's gonna be great for <laughs> yeah, exactly media. exactly yeah 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 um so i don't know i think it's it's disappointing basically it's just like i i you know i can't imagine ever doing anything like that so i, I do think it's quite yeah. sad but the concept is what made it valuable to me. What yeah. made it interesting was that it was a mixed reality artifact. It was both digital and real. And I actually love the fact that the original was stolen now. After going on a bit of an emotional roller coaster about the whole thing, it's like sure. it's severely up and down at the time. Now it's just like it is, it's part of what the Basilisk is now. It's part of that provenance, right? And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really incredible story. I know if I had an NFT with a story as dramatic as that, <laughs> that that would that'd be more valuable to me um i i didn't steal the basilisk i just want to say on record it it was not me i was not involved in these plans yeah i've had you know i I really i've questioned everybody it's really bad like just you you do like in your your darkest hours just like like, like, it could have been them it could have been them um yeah i i I think i'd rather not know now i think you know unless unless there's something really interesting about it and it's just going to be an anti-climax when i find out that someone sells it on ebay for 50 quid next week like (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the metaphyla series and this is one of the ones that i have I'm so interested in this series because it, it, it has a narrative arc. So why don't you tell us about the Metaphyla series? Yeah. When I, I saw this NFT thing happening, I wanted to take an opportunity to do something I'd always wanted to do and, and give myself a fresh start. I really wanted to get into 3D. I'd only done VR stuff. I'd never done any 3D modeling at any point until Metaphyla, basically. And you can kind of tell they're kind of like, you know, naive and kind of little, little ropey things, but I'd never used rendering software. I'd never used, I'd never textured stuff before, anything like that. So I started with simple organisms as well, because I'm fascinated by evolution, simulation theory, the metaverse, digital spaces, or digital augments of any kind. The fact that we are already digital sort of cyborgs in a sense. So I thought that I would start my story with the basis of evolution. So I was inspired by the Cambrian explosion when isopods, animals with eyes and legs and things started to evolve. And I thought this is like the start of the metaverse and I'm going to make some little creatures, a little bit of a nod to early life forms. 
and they will evolve over time. So the first series of metaphors is eight weird little creatures. Mm. So the idea is that I'm a conduit for the metaverse of the future. <laughs> and and those that's what they became. They've all got little names. I've, I've got a lot of love for all of them. And, and then I did another drop called Metamorphosis where I show, show them evolving. And then the second series, each of the characters in the second series, or eight of them, is a, an evolutionary step up from the first lot. And now I'm at the third stage where four of those are now at their fourth level of evolution. So like Soothsayer, which was the piece that I dropped while I was at Dreamverse, which is one of my favourite pieces, which is this really strange sort of humanoid creature with kind of like a golden crown around his head and stuff. He's actually the splinter bug. So the idea is like there was a teratoma and then there's the splinter bug and then he became the Soothsayer. And, and so I've got these eight, wow. eight little strands, eight little strands of evolution that I just will continue. <laughs> the temple hermit, who was a hermit crab, and then he became a temple. Uh-huh. And now he's like a fully immersive metaverse space that you can put your artwork up inside. He's become a gallery. He was sold for 10 grand at auction off, uh, uh, on the Monaverse platform. So he started off as this little crab. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> so he started off as a little crab and now he's a gallery and, and you can put your artwork inside the gallery. And at the moment, he's got all of his little brothers and sisters as giant floating sculptures inside his main room on his back. Oh, that's cool. In space. So that's yeah, cool. it's all about his evolution so, thing. What's that about evolving? Because as you were talking about evolving, it seems like you're really inspired by like organic evolution and seeing how creatures change. But it sounds like you took a more abstract approach when you evolved that character into architecture. So what's the thought process there? I think of technology, and when I say technology, I'm including language and I'm including fire and the earliest technologies are an extension of nature. I quite like the idea that the animals will grow to prefer the machines over the people. We're probably going to create this omnipotent AI, and this AI is going to know so much about the state of the planet that it's probably going to make better decisions than we would. And I think technology, in a, in a sense, could sort of nudge us out of the way in the long-distant future and, and improve upon the planet's eye. So I think about technology as just tools belonging to an animal that is grown mm-hmm. on the planet so the metaverse is an extension of animals you know i see it as all one big thing they can work in harmony so then i think well actually i don't have to follow the rules of survival of the fittest and evolving to fit the, the environment like animals do because we've got infinite space in all directions in the metaverse we might as well go creative with it you're so right and we've removed a lot of constraints that led to natural selection that led to the way that we in the world are now but by inventing sanitation and all of the other ways that we've taken away methods of depopulation you're right we've sort of artificially removed these boundaries antibiotics as well and our diet yeah we live totally. like we live like kings of course yeah great Can you tell us about the Cyclops? That's such an interesting piece, and I know you've got interesting plans for that one as well. So so what is the Cyclops? So the Cyclops is a 3D printed sculpture, and uh, it's got an augmented reality sort of uh, marker on the front, a a little radial augmented language thing that I uh, designed. There's three different ones. So it's a little sphere. It's a physical object. A QR code that looks like an eye. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a steampunk baseball robot eye i wanted to make these for years but there was never a market for them like how was i gonna sell these things i did not know so as soon as i got into nfts i was always gonna actually make cyclops happen i thought it was gonna be years down the line to be honest but then i started collaborating with a 3d printer down the road for me and then an old friend who had access to some excellent equipment so these were cast in bronze this is like a real like real bronze um, oh my god and it's like a resin bronze so it's like 50 percent bronze 50 percent resin with a patina on it and then there was an actual gold 
gold leaf one with real gold leaf as well. But it was a huge success. They sold really quickly. They sold why everyone was really happy. I've got 21 collectors. And then every every so often, I would send an email to the collectors and they go to the Cyclops. They bring their phone. They open up uh, an app and then they just check out the artwork that's delivered to them. So it's like it's like a curated exhibition of 3D art from inside a sculpture. And uh, explain that. How are they seeing different art in relation to the Cyclops? They just loaded up Snapchat, pointed it at the Cyclops, and then got the artwork. If they clicked the artwork, it would open a link. So sometimes there was a free NFT for them. Sometimes it's NFT like available for them to purchase. Change it periodically, sort of every week or every couple of weeks, whenever a new piece was available. I spoke to Trippy Yogi, Sutu, Coldy, a bunch of quite big names in the NFT space. They all supplied art to me. So it was a way of introducing new artists to new collectors who were serious collectors. And then some of them, one of them was an audio, like a Bespoke made three-track album, like EP of music, made specifically for the Cyclops owners and given away for free. So like months of work went into that one. And so we got a, a friend of mine made a doom metal track for the Hierophant drop that the Cyclops was part of. And then two other artists made these really cool electric, electronic remixes of those tracks. And there's like 21 copies of it and they're only owned by the Cyclops owners. So it is a way of curating an exclusive digital art show through a physical sculpture that I don't think had been done before or since. But- totally. It- yeah. And, and so just to reiterate that, so these people who only the people who have the physical item in front of them, which were associated with NFTs. So you sold the NFTs on Nifty Gateway. You sent the physical items to the holders of those NFTs. Mm-hmm. So they now have this bronze cast item with a QR code in front of them on their desks. And then they get an email from you telling them, hey, check your app. There's something new here. And then they point their phone at the QR code on this eye and they see something new. They might see some different 3D models from yourself or from one of these artists that you've collaborated with. So now you've you've delivered them, you know, digital artwork that is actually specifically for them. And that that's so interesting what you were talking about, how essentially you created a new a new gate. Cause because I'm so fascinated by the way that people are using NFTs as a way to gate access to different things. And typically we see that with like Discord channels, right? Like you buy an NFT and then through a bot you are granted access to a private Discord server. But there's there's so many more possibilities here. And I'd never considered that actually you found a physical way to do that. That's really amazing. It's a portal. It's your own little private portal. The, the collectors really do appreciate it, which is really nice. The Cyclops has dropped exactly one year ago today. Wow. Today's the anniversary of the Cyclops. So I've emailed everybody this morning and I've just sort of given them some hints as to what's coming next. And I'm doing a Nifty Gateway drop where the, the the pieces in the drop are free only for Cyclops owners. And they're like some of my best work. It's it's a real step up in terms wow. of the fidelity of the artwork. And they're going, they're, it's going to be free and, they, and they're gifted to, to, to the 21 Cyclops owners. So is that gifted to the holders of the physical items or the NFTs? It has to be the NFTs because it's the only way Nifty Gateway can sort of, you know, prove it. Really. Okay, sure. So I wanted to to ask about your history because while we were talking at Dreamverse, you told me about how you had originally gotten into VR and what you were doing before that. And I wondered if you could just speak to the role that NFTs have played in your career, what you were doing before and why it made so much sense to pursue NFTs when they came along. Well, I think like a lot of graphic designers and commercial illustrators, I always just dreamt of just being able to earn a living from making my own weird artwork. And I saw that unfolding in the NFT space just over two years ago now. It was like February 2020. And it felt like a dream come true. And it did. It panned out 
better than I could have ever had imagined. And what was it that when you heard about NFTs that spoke to you? Was it the idea of scarcity? How did you see that applying to the work that you were already doing? Well, I was making VR sculptures and VR environments that had no market whatsoever. There was no way of selling that. Like who was going to buy that? But once it was shown that people were interested in scarce rare digital items, it suddenly became a lot more feasible. Um, And also because the NFT space is full of people who are futurists and optimists and, and, and Mm. crypto native. And, you know, they're all about like, um, you know, breaking down these walls, removing the middlemen and, and experimenting. So it was obvious that people were celebrating artists weird selves. So they weren't going to like turn their nose up at like, what is this VR art? They were excited by the fact that somebody was putting on a headset, sculpting in VR, and then turning it into a a sculpture that I could, because I, I was making, having events in VR chat underneath my sculptures, like pitching it, pitching like a physical thing that was 10 feet tall to collectors at auction with super rare in VR, in virtual environment space. And that whole thing was just like completely, like really exciting. Because um, so, but essentially, it was like I always wanted to use virtual reality tools to make my own artwork, and didn't know how I was going to sell them unless I was just going to make prints of them or or whatever. Like you couldn't sell a video of an experience. Yeah, what do you do with that? Insofar as you were able to sell them or get someone to pay you for uh, making artwork, how were you doing that before NFTs came along? So I ended up becoming this like huge ambassador for, for VR art tools to the point where I was doing talks at universities and running workshops, basically introducing people to VR tools. And it was paying the bills just about, but it wasn't really, it wasn't great. I'd sort of like just chucked all of my time and effort into it. I bought very expensive equipment. I bought a 3D printer as well. And I was in debt actually, and a little bit worried, starting to become worried. And then NFTs just pulled me out of that. Right. It it sounds like you were mostly selling your services because there wasn't actually so much of a market for the products. And obviously when you're selling services, um, that's something that doesn't scale. You can't, you've only got so much time and so much physical presence, right? So it sounds like it really filled a hole for for the kind of art that you create or wanted to create. Mm -hmm. So how does one build in VR? You said in your bio that uh, you create art for the metaverse with metaverse native tools. What are those metaverse native tools and how do you build? Essentially, when you put the headset on and you load up a program, maybe Tilt Brush or Gravity Sketch, which is what I use now, you can pull a trigger in your controller and you can paint and you will paint a ribbon or fire or whatever in the air in front of you. And it's there hanging in front of you in 3D and your brain just accepts that it's a thing now. It exists. You can walk around it and you can scale it up and get inside it or you can shrink it down and hold it in your hand. And it's extremely intuitive. It's like sketching on paper or painting with watercolors, except it's digital, it's 3D it's immersive it's 3d printable and you can scale it and save it and send it and copy it and do all sorts of stuff that you couldn't do with physical stuff so it's like being a sculptor or a painter but without gravity without materials and without any sort of restrictions and what i do is i tend to put music on i still don't use any sort of images most of the time i just start with like a feeling and i improvise and then i draw until i see a shape that i like and then i will tweak and tweak and tweak for ages afterwards Say, for instance, are you painting an infinity symbol in the air? Once it's drawn, you can then go into that and you can move it and change the width and move all the points. And so you can really refine it. And then after you've done that, you export it and then you put it onto a flat screen at a desk using Blender or something similar to that or Unity. And then you can 
change the lighting, the textures, the colours, the materials, and add music and all that sort of stuff. What you can see in my Nifty Gateway portfolio is you can see me learning these processes. Oh, cool. It started off with the little bugs, and then the, the evolution is shown as I'm learning new processes and stuff like that. And I'm still doing that now. The work I'm working on at the moment, it's all sculpted in VR first and foremost, and then I'm just getting better at making them feel bigger and more immersive and more interesting. Quick question there. So with these softwares, is there a particular VR headset that you use or that people must use to wear this or are these like cross-platform apps? Yeah, they're cross-platform now. So I use a Quest 2, which is the cheapest headset you can get. Gravity Sketch that I use for all my work is free as well. So like for $299, you can get the headset and get all the software that I've used on all of my Nifty Gateway pieces. Because <laughs> Blender's free as well. You just have to be able to sit and learn and enjoy the learning process, which I always do once I get started. It's the getting started that, that I find hard. Once I get started and as soon as I start to learn little bits, then... That becomes really addictive and the process is incredibly enjoyable. Then the anxiety starts to hit as you come up to the drop date and you just think, am I an imposter? Am I a fraud? (laughs) Is anyone going to buy this? What if no one buys them? I actually haven't done that since Dreamverse because the Monaverse space that I I sold recently, that's the only thing I've done since November. But I've done a lot of writing and a lot of planning and I'm really excited about what I've got coming up. But I haven't actually got a drop booked in exactly yet but it's supposed to be like very very soon i'm spinning a lot of plates at the moment and it's about to just like all kick off again yeah is this upcoming drop a vr drop yeah so i'm working with a collaborator on some new digital native creatures my first versions were done in vr but then we've worked on houdini versions so they're actually like really complex and really animated wow. with really interesting geometry what's houdini i'm not familiar with that Oh, so Houdini is like industry level, like movie level 3D production suite that uses geometry nodes. It's generative rather than modeling. So by tweaking parameters and creating final pieces by just setting parameters and, and physics and geometry using mathematics and sliders and all that sort of stuff rather than physically creating every single facet of the model. It's very, very cool. You would use Houdini and and Redshift for creating an army in Lord of the Rings or creating a tsunami through a city. It does these really, really high-end, five-star, highly finished stuff. Wow. It's kind of ideal. But I've also got a couple of other things as well in the making, which are all hand-made in VR by me. Wow. Very cool. That software sounds so fascinating. I mean, the tools that we have more and more every day for assisted artwork creation through AI is really incredible. I'm sure you've seen some of the demos. Maybe I saw you share it actually, but I think for the new NVIDIA graphics card, there's some sort of app where you can just draw like the simplest possible geometrical scene of an outdoor landscape and it will generate, you know, whatever. If you've drawn a sea, it'll fill in waves. If you've drawn a path, it'll fill in rocks. And it's really an incredible demo. I know that's a space that's very inspiring to you. So what what have you been paying attention to there and what's been inspiring you? Oh, God, I've just spent the last two weeks absolutely fascinated by AI art tools. You can get like a really, really simple version of it on your smartphone called Wombo. And basically, you can type into the phone what you want it to paint and it will try and paint it. So that's a good example of like a very easy uh, and accessible version of it. But essentially, there's a couple of different artificial intelligence models that work together beautifully now. So there's GPT-3, which is used for writing. 
and it's mm. language recognition and it's mm. incredible like it, you, you can just give it a subject and it will write a scientific paper or a poem or whatever and it's very convincing so this is an artificial intelligence model yeah it's going to disrupt everything from journalism through the scientific papers and especially fiction it's very convincing and it's kind of creepy and excellent at the same time and then there's like diffusion models and gans general adversarial networks which are image recognition models I don't know anything about the high level of this at all. I've just been playing with it and trying to understand it. There's one called Mid Journey that I've been using every day for like 14 days now to create paintings for a, a, a whole other world that I'm trying to build, which is separate to the metaverse stuff, mm. which is called Thorax, and it follows life forms on another planet populated by giant insects. <laughs> so with Mid Journey, you can paint in what you want to see. So I've been putting like... Aztec samurais on the backs of jumping spiders and it paints it and it does four in 60 seconds and then you refine it and you choose the one you like and you do it again and again and again until you actually refine it so it can take hours possibly as long as a good concept artist would take to create the same art but the AI is doing it for you and you can have five of these going at once and you can just create all this artwork and it's spooky but then there's Dali D-A-L-L hyphen E as in Wally and and Salvador Dali it's the crazy one, which is just going to completely disrupt the creative industries this year. Only 200 people are allowed to use it, but you can. it takes a second to create photorealistic images based on your descriptions, and it, it handles really surreal stuff beautifully. And I don't think people fully appreciate just how powerful this has got and how quickly it's got this powerful. It's pretty incredible. I don't know how Dali is going to fund it or who's going to allow the access to it, but stock photos paintings concept artists anyone doing static stuff should either be embracing it or scared of it as far as i'm concerned it's beautiful and and, and creepy as hell as well because it's so good well i wanted to ask you about that since i think you've been paying more attention to this area than a lot of people have uh, and it seems like you've thought about the downstream effects of this so i i can see an argument for people who would be afraid that it actually threatens the jobs of artists with artificial intelligence getting so good at creating art let's imagine that there are ai artists that soon come on the scene and i'm sure this will happen i think there's already like virtual artists that are some sort of machine-based intelligence but say they start selling artwork of themselves one could make an argument that that's the machine coming for creative jobs right but since you've thought so much about this how do you see this disrupting the art world and and not just the industries you've you've already said like journalism and stock photography well i, I do know that some of the earliest nfts on super rare were ai paintings really wow about about a year before I came onto the scene. Artists and, I suppose, programmers, AI programmers, have been sort of putting art out there for a while. There's a collection called The Lost Robbies, and they are like these really unusual AI paintings that were... I think, if I remember rightly, they were given away free at an NFT event before my time, and now they're like some of the highest, most valuable NFTs because they're early in the NFT space, but they're also AI paintings. Oh, wow. Um, but I came to the realisation, this is literally just yesterday, that some of my absolute favourite art in the world ever is the AI art paintings that I've been doing. It's not me painting them, but because I'm getting to sort of like weave this like magic spell and create these characters and vistas and landscapes and stuff based on what's in my head, I can't paint that well. I, I get there eventually, but I'm not a painter. The fact that it's coming out and it's what I want to see, I'm, I'm just like... It's blowing my mind. I just keep sort of staring at these paintings aghast and trying to sort of like reconcile what this is and how like poignant it is. 
People have been warned about robots taking our jobs for a long time and automation is a big part of that. But I, I think people, even people in the NFT space and in the crypto space and very forward thinking people are still like very ignorant to just how how good they are and how quickly they're evolving. Like In the space of a year, the fidelity and the speed and just the finesse of these yeah. algorithms evolving has been sort of pretty mind-blowing. Anybody who is painting on an iPad anything... It's going to, especially in the NFT market, competing with people who are just paying to use an AI painter and coming up with things that objectively are just as good. And obviously it's, it was all subjective and a lot of people are going to probably rally against that and try and find the artists that have spent months painting things and all that sort of stuff. The biggest thing is where people need concept art for a broader project. So if someone's making a movie or a comic or anything like that, a TV series or a uh, music video or anything, they always have to start with sketches and concept art. And now they're just going to be able to log into it. It's Discord. Mid-journey, you use Discord bots and you type in what you want and it just paints in the Discord. Wow, that's amazing. And that costs $36 a, a month to use that. And it's instant. It's significant and it's going to be incredibly disruptive when it becomes like mainstream. And also it's going to be very dangerous because you're going to be able to just put like choose a celebrity or the president or whatever, put them in a compromising situation because Dali does photorealistic stuff very well. You can tell just about at the moment that it's not quite real, but it's very close, especially in, in terms of like the way we don't really look closely at things anymore as we scroll past things on our phone and stuff. You don't even need to get someone who's good at Photoshop or anything to make these things. You can just get an AI to create them. So there's going to be lots of discussions about the ethics behind these things, I think. Yeah. And there's already people manifesting 3D objects in the same way. So it's not just static images. And then with deep fakes as well, again, they're an example of algorithms and AI. Obviously, I don't entirely know exactly how it works, but it knows how to map a face and it knows how to find a face and it uses thousands of images that people have put up willingly on the internet. For instance, if I want to create artwork in mid-journey, I can type in the name of 20 artists that I like and it will do it in a style as if all 20 of them had worked together on it. So you've got this other discussion there about like, well, should the artist get something for that? Yeah. Or is it the equivalent of inspiration? Because artists will rip off other artists unknowingly because they're just so inspired. So totally. it's, it, yeah, it's very, very weird. And I just think the genie is out the bottle now. If not, it will be soon. And then there's no turning back. And that's, totally. that's, that's fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, you have me reflecting as you were talking about how easy it's become for you to weave a a fantasy world and get it from your brain into like virtual physical space with with barely a thought. I think ultimately, I mean, what is a tool? A tool is it helps us do things more efficiently. And so essentially it's reducing the amount of work that it takes a person to make whatever fantasy that they have in their head. And as you say, there are very scary applications of that. But I think there's also very exciting things because the more efficiently we can do things, the more intricately and the larger we can do them. Mm -hmm. Obviously in video games, like your average RPG is just a sprawling world now. (laughs) So so huge. And and that's thanks to the tools we have. And a lot of it is AI generated like landscapes, right? Like, you know, they didn't, Mm -hmm. they didn't code in every, every, rock and river no. tree no 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 it's just yeah. algorithms and they, they just say how hard they want the gravity to have effect on the the trees and rocks that they just chuck in yeah okay so let's talk a little bit about metaverses it's such a hot topic right now and i, I feel like you're the right person to to speak to them so first i want to stop and ask what does the metaverse mean to you 
For me, I think the metaverse has existed since the very first messaging apps on the internet. So I think it's something that isn't coming. I think it's something that's already here. I think the fact that I get told that I sometimes spend 10 hours a day at my phone, (laughs) which is absolutely insane. And that is enough for me to think that I'm already like one foot on the grid is the way I put it. Like I'm, I'm in the metaverse. I think people need to admit that. It really bothers me that people talk about Ready Player One, like this thing that we're all hoping to achieve, because it's far more creative sort of representations of what we could do in the metaverse. I'm starting to think of it as a time rather than anything else, because I Mm. think in a decade's time, people won't talk about the metaverse because it will just be part of everyday life as we put on our AR goggles and talk to our robot in the house or whatever, or our car, for instance. All of these interconnected objects that are all all represented by a digital artefact or, or a physical thing, they all cross over. Children have been brought up now with screens since they were born, with the internet since they were born, and with social lives existing in games like Roblox and Minecraft, and these are all metaverse. And I think the metaverse is the internet, and any way of humans relating to digital spaces is the metaverse, so it's existed since ICQ Messenger or, or whatever. It's like World Wide Web or, like, information superhighway or whatever like it's a term that is relevant now that won't be soon because it will just be a given that we're digital creatures so it sounds like you think the metaverse is digital social connection writ large and it probably started in the earliest eons of the internet those were the foundations and we're just getting more and more towards an immersive i guess and and natural digital space yeah and i don't think there's plural i think it's all the metaverse and people will disagree with me you're sure but i mean if you're editing a google doc and you can see the other cursor moving you're in the metaverse and that's an avatar that's a representation of somebody somewhere else in the world and you're sharing an environment together which happens to be an a4 sheet of digital paper yeah (laughs) earlier you were talking about when you're creating art in the metaverse, one reason it it works for you, perhaps because you said you are so ADD and easily distracted, is that you've got blinkers on. You've got this over your face, right? All of your senses are are enveloped in it. I think that's amazing. And that's its own sort of of miracle. I have my own VR set. And I find that, you know, really great that you can literally immerse yourself in a game. But that's also very time consuming, as I think you you alluded to earlier. And I think that's also sort of a, a barrier to entry to that form of VR. So I just wanted to ask you, how do you see VR and AR sort of converging? Because I I guess in my mind, like VR is when you're like fully immersed in it. And AR is when you're taking these like 3D aspects and mapping it onto your world. So I, I see it as sort of a continuum between like absolutely physical to AR to VR. How, how do you see that changing? Or how do you see that spectrum sort of filling up as we get towards a more VR based environment? Yeah, a couple of years ago, there was this ongoing discussion about whether we should start just saying XR instead for extended reality or MR, it's mixed ah. reality. And, and like AR and VR are always mentioned in the same breath, but actually are, are really quite different. And I think actually probably this year, we're going to see an update to the popular VR headsets where you can flick between the two in the same headset. Wow. With Gravity Sketch on the Quest that I already use, you can already turn the cameras on and I can sculpt and I can see the room around me and I've got the sculpture in the room around me. It's just in black and white. The, the depth perception is pretty dodgy and it's low res, but it's the start. And the next one that we already know that the next one's going to have passed through. So AR and VR, as, as a lot of people expected, they're just going to blend. All we need is, and, and I say we need, like this is something that's essential to us, but 
I actually do think we need it because I think we're, we've grown up in this really weird time where we, there's been a decade of people staring down at a little thing in their hand and there's this yeah. like, real bandwidth problem where everything gets slower because you've got to type on a screen and you, that whole thing is going to look very silly very soon in the same way that 80s mobile phones look silly. And VR headsets are going to look very silly as well. But I do think that the software is there and the way that we relate to it, we are already cyborgs. There's just this weird sort of clunky bandwidth problem between our hand, the screen and the face and the thing in a pocket and all that sort of stuff and all we need is for that thing to be on over our eye instantaneously or otherwise lower bandwidth and and we're going to really start to feel like the cyborgs that we grew up with yeah absolutely i think it's really soon people have been saying that for like five years or whatever but it looks like there's patents for glasses for facebook for apple and the oculus quest is going to have passed through so it looks like this year or like within the next two years it's going to start becoming a thing that people just start to understand. People laughed at iPads and people laughed at iPhones and people laughed at earpods and all these things because they just thought it's an advert for theft or it's a ridiculous concept, no one's going to use it. And then before you know it, everybody's got a smartphone or everybody like understands the utility of a tablet now. Totally. Yeah. When you were um, talking earlier about uh, creating art and how you can just like put your hand out into the space and, and pull a trigger and draw something in the air, I was thinking about how when the iPhone uh, came out, it was actually really revolutionary to be able to touch your finger to the screen and be able to flick mm. it and actually interact with it. And now that almost seems primitive to us with the tools that we have, and it will even more so in the future. But to be able to remove an intermediary tool like a button or a stylus and just use your finger was actually quite a leap in terms of being able to interact with something. And obviously, I think with, with VR tools, like the ones you're using to sculpt, that's another step down that path. I remember seeing the the, the, the video of the first iPhone and when they pinched to zoom the map, it was just mind blowing. And that seems so ridiculous now because it's everywhere as a gesture. I mean, you use it in VR. The Quest 2, I don't even need the controllers for a lot of it. I can just use my fingers in the air. It already has that. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it already has hand tracking. It's just that it, most of the apps don't utilize it because there's a lot more buttons. There's a lot more buttons on the controllers. So if you put your headset on and you don't have the controllers, it knows you don't have the controllers and it maps the little digital gloves onto your hands and you can just use the menus and you just pinch. And you literally pinch and pull like you do on a screen. It's already like proper sci-fi out there. <laughs> that is amazing. And that's on the cheapest headset. Yeah, one, one thing I do love, do you have the game Demio? Have you played that? Yeah, I play it a lot. I love Demio. It's so great. And I love, like, one of my favorite things about it is that you can either play it from a tabletop perspective. And I should stop and explain that this is a tabletop RPG in VR world. It's made to be like Dungeons and Dragons. But because it's in VR, you don't have to play it like a tabletop game, but you can. Like Lee is saying, you can actually pinch your hands and pull and expand mm -hmm. space until you're at the same scale of yeah, these you go down into the dungeon with the hero it's very very fun very immersive i wouldn't have expected something like that like a board game in vr i would have laughed at that if i hadn't seen so many good reviews i was just like okay i have to try this and it's brilliant and such a fun way to play with friends as well when you're all like literally there in virtual space you can see their hands you can see their helmets yeah. like wow it's yeah. incredible and you're drawing and saying go over here you're like circling something in the air yeah. like yeah yeah and that, that's how the art programs work you've yeah, that's exactly how okay. the painting okay. works. Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just stays there afterwards. <laughs> wow, very cool. All right, so I think we should start to bring it home. I've got a silly little game to play with you called Tired or Inspired. I'm going to throw a word at you, and I just want you to say whether to you that thing is tired or inspired. Oh, okay. Easy enough? All right. Yeah, I'm both right now, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. All right, uh, first up. 
VR gaming. <laughs> in, I would say inspired. I think it's got a long way to go, but it's a very broad subject. There's some games that work really well, and I don't think people are going to be spending like all day in an MMO in VR anytime soon. Okay. Virtual land worlds. Or virtual real estate model tired. Virtual worlds inspired. Oh, very good. Very good. I like that. My boyfriend would have a lot to say on that subject of, of virtual real estate. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, NFT avatar projects, profile picture projects. Oh, tired, but I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. Interesting. Instagram. Oh, hanging in there, but tired. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, hardwired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Twitter's been amazing. Like That's where NFT community lives, and I think it's inspired. I don't know how it's going to change over the next 12 months or so. That's going to be interesting. But... So you know my next one is Elon Musk. Oh, God, my opinion of him changes every day. Like, it flips between, like... And I'm just like, I watch an interview when they're talking about the things him and his team are building, and it's just, like, inspired. And then he just, like... I don't know, like, he's a maverick, isn't he? So he pisses mm-hmm. me off as well. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. He's, he's, yep. he's tired and inspired, yeah. depending on his mood. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe hardwired, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I love, I love it. I, lo- I love the idea of, like, a thousand ships going to Mars in my lifetime, which is what he's planning on doing. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, people need to be thinking like that. And I love that. And that's inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also, like, a massive troll, and he, do- and he, and he annoys me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, roadmaps. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Tired mostly. I've watched a hundred roadmaps not be fulfilled, and a lot of promises not be like fulfilled. And I think like this is why I focus on artists because they're the roadmap. That's all you need to know. Because generally, artists just have to be doing it to stay happy. They will always yeah. create. So roadmaps generally tired. But I think we're gonna we'll have to see who delivers on on their roadmaps. And some of the big big players are just not going to i just don't think they're going to especially metaverse stuff people don't realize how hard it is to make a game Mm -hmm. nft galleries oh inspired i think even an nft get a gallery on a flat screen in a website is a great way of elevating art but i want to see more physical galleries do a better job of displaying their nfts like elevating them in such a way that they deserve because at the moment most real world galleries are kind of tired and aren't really making the most of projectors and ar and you know that sort of stuff so yeah tired in the real world inspired in the digital world and i think there's a space in between there that's gonna really flourish soon new york city pizza (laughs) inspired yeah (laughs) first thing we did first thing we did when we arrived after two weeks in barbados was get like a really huge dirty greasy pizza up over the road from the hotel and it it was uh yeah it was amazing it was amazing it was absolutely broken but it was just like (laughs) holy grail we'd we'd arrived (laughs) we sat on the steps of the hotel eating like giant greasy like we had we had better pizza after that but that pizza was special (laughs) yes yes it always is all right so what's next from you what should people look out for from you soon the drop that's going to be gifts for the cyclops is going to be the first instance of a much larger story that i want to tell with these new creatures and i'm really excited about that i'm doing a collaboration with varian nikki that who did the sound for the basilisk that's like a a really cool looping piece as part of a group show and uh, she's got some really really cool artists as part of that show but i don't want to drop any names at the moment because it's a bit early days but it looks like it's gonna be amazing again i can't say the name of the event because it's not definitely happening yet but i've been asked and i'm in the middle of quoting for 400 cyclopses for a huge crypto event this year wow and, and that's working hopefully with monaverse on physicals 
levels. That's potentially huge, but it's just um, slow moving because it's big. And there's another big thing where I'm working with a traditional fintech investment firm on an iPhone app. They want some creative direction and some artwork NFTs for that. And that looks like it's going to be huge as well. So I got these big projects about to start and a lot of sketches and a lot of art that I want to do this year as well. If everything that's lined up now happens, then I'm done for the year already. Like I'm, I'm fully booked like until the end of the year. And Amazing. That's really, really cool. I'm curating a show for First Dibs as well in August. It's going to be like a, a year after the first one I did for them, which was a really cool um, exhibition that I worked with them on. But yeah, quite, quite a lot of stuff. Very, very cool. Yeah. And I figure curation wise, people can just check out your profile. I, I think you're on Tezos as well. I know like I, I do a lot of mm. random buying on, on Tezos because there's so much great art on those marketplaces there. Speaking of where can people find you online? Yeah. So I'm on Nifty Gateway and Super Rare and Maker's Place and Rarible and OpenSea and Object and Tezos. Um, <laughs> and, and it's Metagrist everywhere, so it's easy to find. And it's like the only use of the word. So you can Google Metagrist and you won't find anything else. So it's just basically all my weird, creepy logo and all my artwork. And uh, Instagram, I'm going to get back into doing stories on Instagram. I haven't been using it lately, but I do enjoy that for behind the scenes stuff. But it's all really, it's all on Twitter. Awesome. And of course, while you guys are rating social media, go ahead and give me a follow as well. Niftiest, N-I-F-T-Y-I-S-T, everywhere. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. What a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyable. I appreciate being asked. Yes. I, I'm so glad to have you as the inaugural guest because it's just been uh, so great. And I think it's a very auspicious start. And I would be remiss if I didn't put out a call to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and rate it. And uh, a review would be amazing as well. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Niftiest Podcast. <laughs>